0: Even in the midst of death, right, I had to do a funeral Friday because uh, there was no one to do the funeral. It's one of those things, but it was kind of connected to our family. My, my brother's uh, mother-in-law passed away at the age of 89, and I thought that was kind of strange because all three of the grandparents that they knew um, died at the age of, 89 my parents both died at the age of 89 and and so their their maternal grandmother died at the age of 89 but uh, it was good to just share with the family some things about hope in the midst of that kind of experience Uh, would you stand with me just for a moment and uh, let's pray and thank you again for being here this morning lord i uh, i ask you to help us today to know your voice to hear what you're saying to us, may we have an open mind to you that you can press your truth into us, even where it would really make us uncomfortable or cause us and demand from us a response that we may be hesitant with, but Lord, I do pray that you'll speak to us, help us to hear you and respond to you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, you may be seated. And it is good to have Brenda two Sundays in a row here. She is, by the way, if you don't know this, um, our son is somewhere in the Indian Ocean on a nuclear submarine. and He's down to five weeks from three months. And so he knew this and he was concerned about Trish and the three kids ages nine, eight, and five, almost six. Sailor will be in January. And so he asked his mother if she would help Trish, as much as possible. So there you go. Brenda's jumped in there full bore. You know, and, and I say this kind of like tongue-in-cheek because uh, I'm, I'm taken off of a word. Sometimes when people are doing something really great for the Lord, I'll use this um, statement. But I can I'll use it with Brenda. Brenda, I think the Lord is putting a room addition on your mansion. A really nice room addition. <laughs> of course, I, you know, that's the word that we like to think of, mansion. That we'll have a mansion in heaven. But uh, I know that she's laying up treasure in heaven. I want to talk to you a little bit about Moses this morning. I'm going to re- re- reflect back in chapter 34 of Exodus. And then we're going to fast forward over into the New Testament. You know, um when I preached a, a series on uh, Islam versus Christianity and the Quran versus the Bible, and, and I actually read a good portion of the Quran, um, and you're talking about something heavy to read, but I, I wanted to kind of dive into to that book and uh, kind of study it. And here's a question, if you ever have a chance to talk to a Muslim person and engage them in conversation, and please remember that we're to be witnesses to them. We're not supposed to be hostile to them. We're supposed to be witnesses to Jehovah Witnesses and not be mean to them. You might not like them coming to your house, but if all you can do, say, well, I don't want them taking up my time and arguing the Bible. Well, all you have to do is stand at your door and say, thank you for stopping by here and and for being interested in me, but I'm also interested in you, and I'd like to just pray for you and take them by the hand. i wait for them to ask for permission and just start praying for them. And pray that the Lord will open their eyes to know that Jesus died and rose again and wants to save them. That's a witness. That's better than telling them, no, I'm not interested, uh, and uh, slam the door. That's that's a bad witness, by the way. And when Muslims, you have a chance to talk to Muslims, you know, just kind of get an idea of what they believe so that you can tell them what you believe. Sometimes it gets into a heated discussion, and I've been there. But here's, here's some trivia for the, the Quran that you might want to know if you don't remember what I shared. Who's the person in the Quran mentioned more than anyone else, including Muhammad, any person, Old Testament, and New Testament? Who's mentioned the most? Someone? Isa? No, that's their word for Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's a biblical person because what Muhammad did, he rewrote the Old Testament and the New Testament and made it fit his background. And so all these people in the Old Testament, Elijah and all these prophets, Noah, Adam, Eve, they're all in there. But there's one person that's mentioned over a 100 times and it's the most mentioned person in the Old Testament. Did someone say Moses. Moses. Isn't that interesting that a book that is the holy book of a people who believe they came from Ishmael mentions of men who came from the tribe of Levi, who came from the line the of Israel out of Isaac, and it's Moses. Why Moses? It lets you know how prominent a person in the Bible Moses really is. That even the Quran mentions him more than any other person. And when you look in the Bible, can you find anyone outside of Jesus, maybe Abraham, but really and truly, the prominence of Moses? Can you find someone that's more prominent than Moses? Called into ministry at the age of 80. So, see, there's hope for us called into ministry and probably we would have had to have this same kind of experience if we were 80 and, and shepherding on the backside of a desert trying to just eke out a living for the family that he had established. A burning bush, a burning bush that would not be consumed and God speaks out of the burning bush and calls Moses to become a deliverer at the age of 80. And Through the hesitation and through the the ways the Lord had to confirm to him through his staff, through his hand being stuck in his vest and coming out leprous and stick it back in, it comes out. All these things that Moses needed for the Lord to confirm. He goes to Egypt. Ten plagues takes place. He leads two million or plus people by getting his staff stretched out over the Red Sea, watching it split in two. If we just stop right there, would you think he'd still be a prominent person? I mean, it's just how much, how much more exciting can that be? <laughs> watch the Red Sea part and 2 million plus people go through and then turn around and watch it swallow up the Egyptian army when they try to go through. And then he gets over into a desert wasteland and God provides food from heaven, provides quail. He strikes a rock, water comes out of it, Is this getting good or what? Prominent. But it's not even the best yet, is it? Because they swing south. They could take a shortcut right over to where the promised land. But they take this swing south into a wasteland called the Sinai Peninsula. There's nothing there. It's just sand. And there's a mountain there called Mount Sinai and... And the Lord calls Moses to come up to that mountain and meets with him. And the mountain is covered with thunder and clouds and lightning, and the whole mountain is shaking. People are scared to death down below the mountain. And Moses gets the word of God and two tablets, comes down and breaks the tablets in his shock at what was going on in his absence, turns around and spends another 40 days up in that mountain getting two new replacement tablets and the word of the Lord and the commands of the Lord. And when he comes down the second time, it's a lot different. And that's what you find Exodus 34, verse 29. I want to read this. This is Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the lord when aaron and all the israelites saw moses his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him but moses called to them so aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them afterward all the israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And that included not just two tablets with the Ten Commandments. That that included a codified law dealing with everything that you could think of, from property damage to uh, sexual immorality, how how to pay your debts, how to respond to God, all of these regulations he gave them, all of that. And he spoke to them everything the Lord had given to him. In verse 33, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he would tell the people what the Lord had said to him while he was in the Lord's presence. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Let's just kind of go back. He was unaware. He was with the Lord. He was unaware his face had this brilliance to it. Probably don't know how to describe that. But they were afraid when they saw his face. They were afraid of him. Even Aaron didn't want to come near him. They, they They were repelled by it. So he calls them to himself and he tells them everything the Lord has spoken to them. And then he puts a veil over his face because not that he was afraid of them, but he saw that they were afraid of him. And so to interact with them, he put this, maybe he took his turban and and wrapped it around his face as much as possible and, and kept his face from being visible to the people, but this was because they were afraid of him. It wasn't his problem it was they were afraid of him when he would have this shine upon him but he would take the the veil off and go and talk with the lord when he come out he would give them the word of the lord still with his face unveiled but then when he'd go into the presence of the lord he would cover his face again when he'd come out he'd tell them what the lord said and then he would put the veil back on so what does this have to do with us today more than we realize and Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, he deals with this statement. He deals with this situation. And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 3, if you'll turn there. Second Corinthians, chapter 3. Paul gives some insight as this chapter starts. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read parts of it. But at the beginning, he, he gives us a little bit of a clue of what's coming because he's talking to them about that, that he and his team are competent ministers. They had been maligned by people outside of the church. They had been questioned about their legitimacy. And, and so he's writing to them to defend himself and his team and that they were competent ministers. And he says this about the people in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, that they are a letter themselves, that they are a written communication from Christ. Not written in ink on tablets of stone, but by the Spirit of God on tablets of human hearts. He's already starting to dive into this story about Moses by talking about tablets of stone and tablets of human hearts. And he's telling them it's not tablets of stone that have made you different, it's what the Lord by his Spirit has written on your heart. That makes you different. And he goes on to say, and this gives us boldness. This gives us confidence. Look in verse 8 when he says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? He said the, the glory of God on Moses' face with the coming of the old covenant written on two tablets of stone, the glory of God on Moses... If that was glorious and it was a covenant of condemnation and death, he said the letter kills, the Spirit gives life, the law condemns you, the Spirit of God gives you life, and if the law that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious will be what you have today? That's what he's trying to get across to him. And that's a question in verse 8. In verse 9, it's a declaration. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? He said, if this glory, which is already, you know, how long was Moses like that? It doesn't tell us, but at some point, his face wasn't shining anymore. It was temporary. And he even said that. He said it was a fading glory. It wasn't something that he was just permanently imprinted with a shine upon his face. It's just for temporary purposes. But he says if this glory, which was already beginning to fade, continued for a time and was gone, will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? Now he's about to get to something that I want you to try to think through with me. Remember, he's defending why he and his team came into their town and preached with confidence this message of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, "Why why can we be so bold about this message? Why do we not have to apologize what we're preaching to you? He's about to tell them why in verse 10. He said, what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory of now i just added those two words of now we're in a surpassing glory and if that what was fading away came with glory how much greater is the glory of that which lasts that's permanent therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold what was happening in exodus 34 faded away But he says something now much better is going on. It's this surpassing glory. Joel Marbot, Karen mentioned his message in Sunday school. Great message. And uh, Sylvia wanted me to remind everybody that you can go to the website and listen to these sermons. Thanks for Shane. And by the way, let me just pause here and give a little disclaimer Technology can be very frustrating. Last Sunday, the problem wasn't with our end of the phone call with Tom McLean. They had a power outage when we were supposed to call him. (laughs) And he actually called Shane while one of Joel's videos was going, so we we didn't interrupt that, but it wasn't our fault. It wasn't Shane's fault. So, you know, just, I just wanted to make sure of that. But when Joel was talking, he, he gave you a little Greek word. Anybody remember the Greek word he gave you? About pray that the Lord of Harvest would send forth and what the send forth meant. You know, you mentioned his little boy when he said, throw me. You know, the word was Throw. It's ekbalo, and, and uh, it it's, comes from two words, ek meaning out, and balo is to throw, to, that God would throw us out into the harvest. Isn't that a great thought? That not just like, okay, I'm willing to go. God's going to chunk us out into the harvest. Well, here's a word kind of similar on this surpassing. It's huperbalo. Same word to throw, but huper means to go over and beyond, and it's like a glory that throws way over the glory of the Old Covenant that supersedes anything in the Old Testament, including someone coming down off of a mountain after 40 days with his head shining where people were afraid of him. That what you and I have in Jesus is greater than that because that faded away, and what you have today is not fading away. And he said, this is the surpassing, throwing over beyond what you have ever seen in the past. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. <laughs> and this is what I really like. We're about to get to this. This is at verse 13. Oh, I love this. We are not like Moses. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> we are not like Moses. Well, that could be true in more ways than one. But he he qualifies it here. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. He said, Moses put that over his face to protect them from being so awed by it. But it was fading. But at verse 14, But their minds were made dull, For to this day, that same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. That same veil, that block. It's kind of like Paul said in Romans, that blindness has happened to Israel. The great song, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Spiritual blindness. And this is what he's taught. He says, the people who hear the covenant of the Old Testament read strictly as their faith, their minds are dull and the veil is over their minds. But look at the finishing words of verse 14. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Jesus can the veil over your mind. He says, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. This is what he's talking about. It's just their minds and hearts. is blocked. But look at verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, I don't know how many times I went through chapter 3. I don't know how many times I went through the whole book of 2 Corinthians over the last several days. But chapter 3, just I just saw that, heard that statement, read that statement. I said, what is, what is that? Lord, what is that? Tablets of stone lead to a veiled mind. A mind that is dull of hearing the word of the Lord. Whenever anyone... In that single statement, what does it mean? Here's what I think is one application of it. Listen to me. What is the law? What is the, the regulations, the, the list, of the do's and don'ts? If you tend to be a person obsessed with do's and don'ts and what you should not do and don't do, then you are making a veil a possibility to cover your mind. Because you're stepping into activity that identifies you instead of an identity with Jesus. Paul ought to have known what he was talking about, right? Because he remembered when he was on the other side of this. He was an expert in the law. He was a theologian of the Old Testament. He was as blind as anybody could be. And only Jesus took the veil off of his mind where he could know and experience the true person of God. I don't know if you've heard anything about the Ashley Smith story. It's featured in a movie. I don't even know if it's been released yet, but I've seen previews. Called Captive. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. Wow. When we saw the preview, Brenda says, "I remember that story. Incredible testimony." And if you haven't, if you have, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just you just go online and, and Google the Ashley Smith story, and you get all kinds of, of CN, uh, CBN, um, all kinds of ministries. She was a hostage by a fugitive who had killed several people and had taken her hostage in her own apartment in the Atlanta area. His first accusation or his first charge that he was being tried on was a charge of rape. And when he broke loose from the courthouse, he killed a police officer when he grabbed her gun went back into the courthouse, shot and killed the judge and killed the court reporter. Killed two more officers as he got away and was at large when he waited at her apartment, followed her to her door and put a gun to her head and says, if you'll do what I say, I won't hurt you. Incredible story. I'll give you just a little bit of it. had the purpose-driven life on her table. And he asked her, what do you read? She says, it's a book. It's a purpose. He says, read it to me. Long story short, God began to temper that hardened criminal and he let her go. Let her go. But in the midst of that, Megan Kelly did an interview, and I happened to catch it. And I called Brenda and said, you've got you to hear this. <laughs> I knew a little bit about the story from what Brenda said. I said, you just got to hear this. He asked her. She was, she was addicted to meth, and she had lost the custody of her little girl because of her drug addiction. And he asked her, do you have any drugs here? And she had some meth. He had never done meth, so she showed him how to use meth. And when he says, would you do this with me, she heard a voice inside of her say, if you you choose not to do that, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'll change your life. She heard God speak to her, if you refuse to do that, I will change your life. And the moment she decided not to, she felt the presence of God come into her life. And Megan Kelly says, well, at that moment, what did you feel? An urge? Uh, And she was trying to say, no, it was the presence of God. Radically delivered her from meth. Now she's married, got a family, and travels the country giving her testimony. Never again picked up a drug habit. She was a person consumed with the do-nots of life. She couldn't fit into the rigidity of not doing drugs. She was in a law of her own that gave her no space for life until Jesus removed the veil from her mind that she had probably been convinced there's no hope for her, to give her a ray of hope, and it radically changed her life. And I'm not finished yet. We're not doing too bad on time. Right after verse 16, when it says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What is the next verse? We quote it many times. And the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is some says liberty there is freedom boy have we misused that verse you know what we use that verse for raising our hands and being a little free in worship clapping come on now I'm free to run I'm not making fun of the song listen I'm just saying we we use that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So let's get with it, people. (laughs) Wow, I I thought it had to do something with a veil. That the Lord, when anyone comes to the Lord, he takes the veil off their minds. And when he does that, it brings a freedom into your life to experience him. It's not about freedom to worship. It's about a freedom to know him, to experience him. And if you, and if you don't get that in verse 17, look at the, how the chapter ends. And we, who with what? Unveiled faces, who have no block anymore, nothing to keep us from seeing the glory of God. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed in His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Not a glory that's fading, but a glory that's increasing, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Not temporary stuff, but lasting ever-increasing glory. The glory of God. Here's, Here's where our tendencies are. We tend to be Rule-oriented, regulation-oriented, do this, don't do this, and that's okay. We, we need those kind of parameters. But that is not what experiences freedom. Because you and I can try to do the best we can, but if we don't have an unveiled face to the glory of God, it matters little as to how good we are. Because when you have an unveiled face before the Lord, you don't have to try to be anything. He comes in and makes you what you ought to be. We're all about doing church, and he wants us to be all about being the church. Because we, we tend to glorify the external. Oh, the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit was in the service. It was was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And and we kind of celebrate the external manifestation of the glory of God. And he's talking here about experiencing the internal presence of God. What Ashley Smith was delivered from was an external hostage situation, but an even greater internal hostage situation. People don't get off a meth like that. Without the power of God, we underestimate the power of God. We settle so much for things that we try to figure out and make happen when He wants to make it happen out of His power and out of His glory. We grab onto the, the temporary instead of seizing the eternal. We settle for mediocrity in our lives when listen, friends. The heavens are open to us. And the throne of God is attentive to your petitions and is ready to come to your assistance. What's that verse again? Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Jesus writes on the tablet of your heart. He takes the veil away from your mind so you can experience him. And he becomes your freedom and your glory. We can be as boisterous as, as we want to be and as loud as we want to be. And we can walk out just as empty and shallow as ever if we still have a veil over us. Let Jesus take the veil off of you. And if the musicians can come back. Because you see, we, we're all about external. We're all about this life. We, we're just kind of consumed with it, aren't we? You know, somebody asked me, um, you know, Pastor, you, you don't have to wear a tie because all the cool preachers today don't wear ties. They pull their shirt out, and they have these cool shirts. They got like embroidered stuff on the sleeve. and One day I'm going to come in, I'm going to be really cool. We really cool. But <laughs> you can't wait. But but here's what I say, but what if I like to wear a tie? Well you, you, you can't be that be a contemporary. But maybe I don't want to be contemporary. maybe I want to dress with a tie. But you see how you see how frivolous we get? When we start doing the do's and don'ts and not focus on the heart, that God is much more interested in your heart than He is in your fashion. Amen. And that, you know, the church I grew up in was all about fashion. You were evil if there's something wrong with you if you didn't meet the dress code. You see how death that is? You see how condemning that is? We ought ought to be glad that anybody comes into church. Even if they're they're just out of sorts with life and, and they're not dressed maybe even appropriately, we should be glad that they're here for God to speak to them and help them and minister to them. You would have written Ashley Smith. I would have written her off my list if I knew that she was a meth addict. Uh And not given the idea that God, in His mercy, could rescue a woman when she says what it was, it was two broken people dealing with their brokenness in that apartment. Now, I'm eager to see the movie. She did say that some of the things in the movie is not in the book but it's an absolute miraculous story. Could you stand with me? I just want to ask you this. Do you want the veil off of your life? You see, sometimes if we say, well, I don't have a veil on my life, that might be a confession that the veil is there. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all have tendencies in us that we don't like. And we sometimes can make an excuse for it instead of saying, Lord, change me. Lord, change my my inclinations. I want every veil taken off of me. Even if it's just a partial veil, I want to know you. I want to experience your all-surpassing glory. That's my prayer. I've never preached from this passage. I've been pastoring from 1975. But this passage captured me when I saw that the Lord wants us to have unveiled faces. Pray with me, Lord take veils away today. You said whenever we turn to you, that you take the veil away. Take that that blocks us from the richness of your presence. Take that that blocks us from your glory, from your great power. We may be limiting ourselves just because we've allowed a veil to stay there that says one thing to us, when you're saying just the opposite, that you can do great things in our lives, we can go beyond where we're at. Take the veil of limitations off of us, Lord, so that we can step through into your glory and become bold, not in our boldness, but bold in your spirit. Help us as adults who have influences over younger generations to reflect the glory of God to them and to be that ever transforming person that reflects you. That's my prayer for me, Lord. It's my prayer for TFA that we would see a greater measure of your glory in our lives. And if that is your prayer, would you join me here at the front? So that's my prayer. God increase your glory by removing the veils that's all over our minds.